0: Three, two, one Welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes Podcast And it is the Reverend and the Captain hey back yo. again I know you guys are excited You're like, will you guys ever shut the fuck up? Nope But here we are <laughs> We have some guests today We have Lainey How are you doing, ma'am? I'm good And your husband is Heath, correct? Yes, it that is That was a complete guess on my part <laughs> I was like, I could 100% <laughs> forgot his name up until that moment Good job Yeah, there you go Alright, and you guys And your last name is Brewer, correct? Yes Yeah, and so you decided to join us on the podcast today Because you're a glutton for punishment I suppose you could do There you go. <laughs> no, there you're you fine. No. You're in good company. Be nice. No, you <laughs> guys reached out to us. We had uh, we did the Grunstyle Style Foundation, and then we had Epen on, and you guys were connected with Epen, and then you decided uh, to reach out and said, hey, I kind of like what you're doing and wanted to get a chance. You guys are involved in some stuff. Why don't you take a moment and tell the audience uh, who you guys are and, and what you guys are doing, and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll get into the good stuff.
1: Oh gosh, how do I uh, preface all of this? So, um, Heath was Navy Special Operations, and um, as a spouse, when he retired, we decided to kind of dedicate our the next chapter of our lives to giving back to our community, and we started Humble Warrior Wellness um, to help with uh, veteran mental health and wellness services. Um, kind of went down a rabbit hole with that, got into plant medicine, and um, just a a whole array of wanting to give back and help people. We all know that there's a huge suicide epidemic among our military, and that's something that we really need to help uh, put a stop to.
0: Very interesting. Now, one of the things that you had told me when we had the first time to talk Mm is you had kind of mentioned you're a military spouse, Mm -hmm. you're not a service member, but you had found your way to the plant medicine because of your own traumas. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I, being a military spouse, I, it was, it was a very weird transition for me. Um, I came in into it, not really knowing what I was getting into. Um, Heath being special operations, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, okay, cool. You know? And Um, before we even got to development group, um, you kind of get put on a spouse's email and I was like, it, it was kind of a bad time at that command. I think in 2008 and I was getting emails of, um, KIA casualties that were, and I was like, wait a minute, what the, what the fuck did we just sign up for? And we get over there and I'm just like the very proud wife, um, did really good for a while, but then it was more of the same, just like death, deployment, divorce. Um, And it was just like a shock to my system. I kind of lost my identity. I had to quit my job. Um, And then within all of that, just kind of numbing, um, wanting to not live in that pain or that turmoil or that what if I'm the next one with the knock on the door. So it just kind of became toxic and um I I just completely lost my identity and my purpose internally and externally and it um it was a bad place to be in for a while
0: now did you have children at that time
1: uh yes I had my son um Blake and so I think about six six months after he was born we had that big mass casualty extortion 17. Um, where the helicopter was shut down um, by a rocket-propelled grenade, mm. and we lost um, quite a few teammates and friends um, during that. And I'm trying to raise a six-month-old baby and also trying to, um, you know, be a support system for, you know, the, these newly widowed friends and also be a support si- I mean, the whole community was just crushed. Wow. Under-
2: understandable yeah i remember- I remember when that happened, and the media came out and I was just floored, yeah, I can't imagine i mean there was a lot of i don't know what what team was that that was on that there was not a, a- a specific team that was that took a big hit, like it was all the
0: same team members there was like
1: uh yeah, I mean it was a development group and it was uh it's pretty well known that it was gold squadron, so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So well, you say special operations. So Heath, what did you do in the service? Oh,
3: so uh, I was a Navy uh, bomb technician EOD. Um, so we basically just you know disarm bombs, booby traps, blow things up. And uh, there's uh, you know EODs, especially in the Navy, has a wide variety had a wide variety of jobs um, that you could be uh, assigned to. So um, so I uh, was attached and assigned to special operations the whole time uh seals in particular and uh so I was you know the bomb technician on the team that was my specialty and um uh, trying to keep the the team safe uh and you know obviously something needs to be blown up I'm there for that too <laughs> so
0: you're a first navy guy oh yeah oh, look at you it's oh, wow. it's not strange that you're prettier than the rest of us, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, you know
3: what? It's, it's Navy's birthday today. Right. It is. Really? really? It is. No yep.
0: shit. Well, it is a special Friday the 13th episode. <laughs> so we got well, that hopefully going. Hopefully we
1: should um give more props to the Navy's birthday than World Jihad Day or oh, whatever goodness. the hell they're saying about. Oh, that. absolutely.
0: Yeah, I'm terrible. I don't keep track of any of those like military birthdays. It's like, you know, the Army birthday and all that stuff. You would think I would, but yeah. I don't. No, I know. I, I
3: know. I I just saw it. I saw it this morning. I was like, "Oh, it is, isn't it?" It's <laughs> Probably old, on like
1: LinkedIn or something. Good old
3: right?
0: Facebook. So, what what years did you serve? Uh, from 2000 to uh, 2020. 2000 to 2020. So you did a full 20 years. I did. Now, were you in teams the whole time?
3: No, I uh, I started off uh, conventional EOD. That's where I did my uh, first deployments, um, Iraq '03, and uh, into '04, and then. Um, and then after that, after we got back, uh, I got kind of attached to uh, one of the uh, East Coast SEAL teams and did uh, another tour to Afghanistan and then to Iraq. And then, um, and then after that, I was they basically make you take a break. <laughs> and uh, so I decided to go learn Arabic. I went and learned Arabic, which I found out was not a break. Um, I tricked myself there. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then i got a, a call up to come uh, screen for development group and uh so that's kind of the, a, a goal in it uh, where i wanted to kind of go in my career anyways so um yeah so i went and did that and then uh so what the,
0: is development group for the people out there that don't understand that
3: uh it's a it's a special operations you know team uh there for uh there on the east coast uh you know they, it's a, Special mission unit, you know. It's commonly known as
1: SEAL Team 6, but it's kind of like a taboo to say that. But, I mean, I think in the recent decade, it's kind of become a buzz, you know, a buzzword out there. So
0: So did you, so being EOD, Mm -hmm. getting, uh, I guess, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, placed with Mm -hmm. um,
3: SEAL Team, did you go through SEAL training then? Not through the specific, like, not through the buzz that they have to go through. There's a, a selection process you go through um, there. So, uh, yeah, I went through all that, you know, with them, so. Um, and then also we had our own selection kind of portion that we had to do for our specialty, you know, to make sure we're, you know, they want to make sure they, they're bringing on, you know, you know, the right guys for the the bomb technicians cause That's because that, that's why they're bringing you there, right? So that's your specialty, so, um so they want to make sure you're good to go there and then and then of course we integrate in with the uh the SEALs too. So
1: yeah, they kind of have like their own selection process because it, at Dev Group they're kind of taking like the top one percent of like the SEALs and the EOD guys um from all the other teams. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah, whoever and, and then there's other other uh people also, you know, there's Air Force you know special operations there mm-hmm. there's uh, uh other navy folks that kind of attached to the uh the team too everybody's like that's a unique place that you know selects all the all the support people behind the scenes that are making sure that we're able to get everything that we need to get and, and uh, you know running all the support for everything they're all selected too and then they all have their own selection so um the whole place is built on you know high performers so it's and it, it, that's what it takes too you know um, to make a place like that run too so um. so
0: how does one go about getting selected to be on such a team you know you're you're in the navy you're doing your job and we need to circle back and talk about that a little bit i i'm pretty sure that none of our audience has a clue what eod is mm-hmm. and that is a <laughs> relatively uh, special mos all in itself uh so why don't you talk about that a little bit and like give us some background on like what you did and why that was important
3: um so I, when I joined uh, the Navy, I'll start, I'll start in the beginning. Um, I was in boot camp, and I can actually back up a little bit further uh, than that. I uh, I was a, at a no end job basically here when I was 18, 19 years old, and uh, here, in, here in St. Louis. And I got up, I was doing telemarketing. I was like, what the hell? There's got to be something better out there <laughs> than this. <laughs> uh, I still really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and then uh, I, one day at lunch, I stood up, and I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm like, this isn't, I wasn't doing, ma- making great life choice at the time either. I said, like, okay, I got to get out of here. So I went to the recruiting office. The Navy could get me out of here the, the quickest. Uh, I got out of here, I think like 10 days They said they could get me out of here. <laughs> so I went undesignated. I didn't even have a job going into boot camp. Um, so, <laughs> which is not a good place to be in the military. You don't want that guy. Cause <laughs> then you get, you get the jobs that, you know, they put you where no one else wants to go. Uh, so, um, so when I was in boot camp, uh, I did a couple of the the morning routines, morning workout stuff there with the uh, with the, uh, the 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 division there that I was in, and then but there was uh, guys that were going to special programs, Navy Divers, guys who want to be Navy Divers, guys who were wanting to be Navy Seals, guys who were wanting to go to the special boat teams. I don't believe that I didn't have any uh, guys went, uh, going for EOD in my uh, boot camp class, but um, they would get up you know extra early in the morning and go do like pool PT. They go to the pool and and do all that stuff. And and then they get to go to the, the the mess hall and eat double rations. You know, you get double the amount of food as everybody else and stuff. And they're kind of – it was less rushed also, but, you know, instead of – less you had a little bit more freedom. And I was like, wow, this is way better than, you know, scarfing everything down in 10 minutes. So uh, you went EOD
1: again. for the – the extra food.
0: <laughs> I mean, it makes
3: sense. Work you put me. me through all of this for an extra meal. No.
1: Well,
0: I
3: don't know. I'm I'm on board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you
1: explain what EOD stands for?
3: Explosive ordnance disposal. Okay. So, Ex- um, when I was at boot camp, I went and talked to the uh, the recruiters. So I was like, "Well, there's all these different special programs. I have no idea what any of them really do." And of course, I've heard of Navy SEALs before. I didn't know what the uh, the SWIC and the Navy Divers and the, uh, the EOD even was. So I went and talked to each one of the recruiters, the, uh, the recruit, the EOD recruiter I talked to at the time, uh, you know, spotted off, you know, we got to work with uh, secret service. Uh, we were on presidential details and and you get to go around, travel around and be a part of that whole thing and be a part of the, you know, making sure that everything's safe. There's nothing, you know, in the room of the vice president or the the president, right? The first lady. So um and checking everything out along the routes and stuff like that and that sounds pretty fun. I get to work with Secret Service that's cool it that sounds neat um get to work with the uh Army Rangers you know at the time get to work with uh the Green Berets get to work with Navy Seals get to work with the Marines so uh I was like wow that didn't sound like it's gonna get boring so um that's that's what kind of sold me on it hindsight I stayed my entire career with seals <laughs> so uh I didn't get a wide variety but uh, I got to work with some of the best and most professional individuals, I think, in the world. Um, guys who take their whatever their skill is or their mastery, you know, and, and master it, you know, to beyond what you even think, and are able to take whatever their specialty is, you know, and, uh, and put forth the the work ethic and the just the knowledge and to to strive to be better and just master and turn their turn turn that into a science. It's a, it was pretty eye opening uh, to see what some of these guys were. It's like wow. You're really studying the moon and the, all this different, you know, different places it's going to be in the sky and all this stuff. It's like, wow, you mm-hmm. are a master of your skill, you know. So it is really humbling to be around. That's awesome. Yeah. And that when, is...
1: I, when I met him, uh, that was his goal to end up at, at Dev Group. And uh, we had been dating for a while and he's like, I'm not going to marry you. We're never gonna get married, you know, because like I was, that, I was an obstacle, like, like out really in well the way. For yeah, I know. I took that as a challenge.
3: Challenge accepted. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was
3: laser focused. Didn't want anything to yeah. get in my way. Well,
2: you kind of need to be in that. In that you do. You got to be in that mind frame.
0: So, at what point did you realize what EOD was? Like, you know, did you did you understand what the job entailed when you took it, or did you find out later? Uh, Like, at what point did you realize you were disarming
3: bombs for a living?
1: I think the three was 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 a a wake-up call for you, that first deployment. You were kind of like, holy shit.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, but at school, you know, you get to, you know, this, I was uh, actually on my way to um, EOD school when 9-11 happened. I was on a, never taken a Greyhound bus ever before and haven't after, but I was on a Greyhound bus um, traveling to EOD school on the, uh, when 9-11 happened, and, uh. Listening to it on my, you know, the, the yellow sports discman. Oh yeah, I the, the radio. That was that was high priced stuff back then. <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> and uh, so I was listening to that, and and and, and you know, he show up there, and it's like, wow, this is this is happening. USS Cole got hit when I was uh, in boot camp. Okay. So this is all. It was all kind of ramping up when I, would, you know, during that was Yemen, board. correct? Uh, I was Oman, wasn't it?
0: Which what what one got blown up when in Yemen? What was that?
3: Was it Yemen? I thought it was month.
0: I don't know I was in Kuwait When when, when Yemen happened Whenever that Whenever the uh, ship got hit In Yemen That's when I was okay, in I was, Kuwait was probably, And that was in well, yeah. 2000 So that sounds about The same time mm-hmm. frame I don't remember If it was U.S. coal or
3: not It probably Yeah it probably was It was around that same time frame. It was what 2001 wasn't it
0: Yeah something yeah. like that Yeah
3: two thousand. I, I was age? like
1: a sophomore in high school. I don't
0: know. I yeah, you know, I, I was younger. Days. I'm yeah. old now. Port of Aden. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
3: want to throw a disclaimer. Out I here. wasn't if watching. Glass will uh, affect your memory. <laughs>
0: yes.
2: Yeah, it was on October 12, two thousand. It oh, was wow. suicide terrorists. They. Uh, it was along the USS Cole re- while refueling in Yemeni port of uh, Aden, killing yeah. Seven, yeah. killing so seventeen Americans. Americans.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was Aiden. in uh, Kuwait from mid summer through December of that year. And so yeah we got we they moved it to like threat Con delta and all that mm-hmm. stuff while we were out there and that sucked that wasn't no fun it ruined my show of force rotation it <laughs> made it a lot more serious than i wanted it to be so they blew up a ship yeah. and you are already on your way to eod school
3: yep i was they blew up a ship i was in uh actually boot camp at that time and you know we had these uh the navy fellows come in like you know say they i remember this uh big second class like drill sergeant come in and he was like don't take no you know make no mistake we were we we're gonna be at war for this and uh it didn't happen right away you know it took 9-11 for that to happen but uh yeah so after uh I graduated DOD school um it was a year long basically of training to disarm everything that can possibly blow up uh underwater or above you know on land um we uh let's see something interesting at the end our our class decided to um, pick orders basically you get each class you get a handful of orders where you're going to go um everybody was you know trying to go overseas and there was actually quite a few to, uh orders to go overseas there was only one uh, set of orders to Virginia one set of orders to San Diego and the rest was like overseas and everybody was snatching those up and uh I was the youngest I was the you know like, I might have been the youngest too Lowest ranking guy in the class, so they they chose to go off a of rank, so I didn't so much get to choose my order. So you got the scraps, is <laughs> yeah, what got you got. Scraps. Yeah, <laughs> I got the last one, last one that no one wanted to to go to, which was Virginia. And then, uh, so, here I, I come. Yep, went to Virginia and beat every one of those guys. <laughs> to Iraq, beat them all there. Nah, <laughs> Holy <laughs> cow! The first uh, first Navy, uh Teams in Iraq doing uh, IEDs and stuff. So Yeah, you said it's you went you crazy how things we
0: talked going. a little bit earlier. You said you went to Iraq in September of oh three. Yep. Yeah, and so you were right there. I was on a plane coming home on September eleventh of two thousand three. That's wild. Oh, we were, we flew on a se- we flew in on September eleventh. That oh you guys should have high fived. <laughs> yeah. We should have. We should have like maybe psh- you did tag. <laughs> yeah, they uh I was stop lost. So yeah. when I went over, I was actually in the process of getting out. And then uh, I got pulled back to my unit. I got stop lost. I got sent over there. So I went over there in February of 03. And then I came back early. My unit stayed there for a full year, and I didn't. I just did seven and a half months and uh yeah we staged up and everything and it just so happened the way it worked out you know because it takes a few days of transition so i think we started leaving like on the ninth you know or eighth or ninth and then we ended up uh there was this one night it was stupid cold and people don't realize how cold it gets over there Mm -hmm. like you know you think desert you think heat you think all that stuff but i remember uh me and a good friend of mine sergeant hetrick were uh we were freezing to death. And so we were like huddling underneath the, this tractor trailer with a little heater on it. I guess it was like an air conditioner, but it was blowing out hot exhaust. And so we were like sitting in the exhaust, like snuggling, <laughs> trying to stay warm. But yeah, that was a, uh, so yeah, we just miss each other because yeah. I was attached to Air Force EOD. And then we were working with a group of those guys out there because that's after the IED started. You know, the initial war effort, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. But the IEDs had really picked up, and uh, they didn't want us as combat engineers doing it. And so we were on IED patrol, and then when we would identify one, then we would get the EOD, and then they'd go in. And those crazy guys like you would blow that shit up. But you said something interesting that caught my attention. You said that underwater underwater so did yeah. you have to do dive training and all that oh, yeah. too yeah, oh yeah. shit
3: yeah you do dive training as part of the initial um kind of screening process just you get into eod from after boot camp uh you go to dive school uh and you get get your shit pushed in there pretty good and then uh then you get through uh once you make it through there we had i mean we had i think we had 30 guys uh start our class and then i think we graduated with 11 and then um
0: we we may have found a job more dangerous than underwater welding,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> like like
0: I, I mean, that's rank number one. But yeah. somewhere like diving down and disarming a bomb underwater, How, so seems
2: like a bad idea. So you're setting munitions and and blowing stuff up underwater. How's the shockwave happen underwater? Like, do you, are you uh, able to you get mean- away?
3: no I no. figured you not yeah you want to be out of the out of the water right and at a good distance because it, it travels right it travels through the water pretty good so so what
0: depths are these things usually set at is oh this-
3: I mean it's it can be it depends on where it's at right so like if uh like you know, um if if you're if a country is you know protecting its coast it's, you know shallow right um on the beaches you know they had the uh, UDTs had to deal with that in uh Normandy right or the, the uh yeah so uh and then uh and then there's like sh- uh, shipping lanes right uh, that uh they put these mines and they can be you know 200 feet down and they Damn. create a void right and like um you know you know the uh the way these mines work also is you know they cr- they basically can buckle ships with the, the void that they're making right and then when it goes off you know it can crack ships in half and stuff so um so yeah yeah I got the tra- I got the train Doing that stuff, um, sweeping ships. Also, uh, a lot of guys get deployed, and before a uh, you know a tug comes up next to a ship, or before uh, a boat is pulling into a pier, they'll, they'll go down and dive down the pylons, make sure there's nobody setting anything down there. You know, they can set off on the on the ships when they come in. They do ship sweeps, make sure there's nothing. Somebody hasn't swim up and. St- stuck anything on the bottom of the ship and all, and all that stuff too. So.
0: so I find it kind of interesting that you did all of this knowingly. So I ended up as a combat engineer <laughs> completely, you know, I, I, here I am, I'm 18 years old and, uh, I'm dating a girl and her grandfather just re- retired from the Heavy Equipment Operators Union, and so I was thoroughly convinced that I was going to be a heavy equipment operator, and that's what I wanted to do, and so when I went in to MEPS, they gave me a couple of different options. They gave me an Apache mechanic, which I should have taken. I didn't. <laughs> it was a six-year enlistment, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do six years, you know, and yeah. then they gave me a few other ones, and then the only one that came with a bonus in the form of the Army College Fund was the combat engineer. Should have been my first sign.
3: <laughs> and I was like, no,
0: no, no, that sounds great. And they're like, oh, yeah, they build bridges and roads and they do all this shit. And so I go to basic training, and I'm at basic training for a oh, minute. I mean, this is pretty – I think we were just transitioning into AIT because they do the one-unit station training for the combat engineers. And so I did like 14 weeks or whatever it ended up being. So it was like week six or seven. You know, we start getting into the specialized stuff. And I just so happened our uh, – our um, Barracks building had two entries to it, and I was always down on the other side of the building toward the right hand side, and that's where I was always coming in and out of. So I had never been in the stairwell in the left side of the building. <laughs> and uh, I was walking in the stairwell, and they had this giant mural on the wall, and they had this guy with this little pot pro uh, probe, and he was crawling, you know, through this minefield and he was prodding and probing. and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, what a dumbass thing to do i'm like who gets on their hands and you know knees and like crawls through a minefield and pokes for mines like this is the dumbest thing i've ever fucking seen and then it was like no shit as soon as i had that thought the drill sergeant comes in it's like all right ladies we're gonna go learn how to arm and disarm mines today and i was like do what <laughs> that was the first moment I had any idea that combat yeah. engineer had anything to do with explosives, <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh fuck my recruiter!" So you're, I was so so mad. you're the dumbass on the wall, is what you're oh, saying? Oh, dude, I was the dumbass on the wall, one thousand percent. Like, yeah, that was a really eye-opening yeah. moment for me. My open,
3: my eye-opening moment was that day if we flew in because I'd trained on it. We did a bunch of training, a big workup up to it. Well, and get this. We were on the runway in Virginia getting ready to fly out, uh, to fly out, and um, there was a, a leak, obviously. Uh, it's always leaking, right? The mm-hmm. engine's always leaking. And they're like, uh, Yeah, we're going to need to take a look at this. Let's push 24 hours. So, okay, great. We're not leaving tonight. We'll leave tomorrow. Show up back at runway. We're all ready to go. Uh, somebody fl- uh, crashed their Lear plane. That's a little Lear jet. It wasn't a jet, it was a prop plane, but it, they, they crashed on the runway. And they're like, Well, I guess we're not taking off tonight. So we got pushed back again. We were prepped. We were supposed to be taking over. There was a Navy uh, EOD team in country that was kind of just blowing up uh, these uh, rocket motors, uh, used spent rocket motors. And um, they were just kind of traveling around, hopping around, doing that. That's what we were kind of prepped to go do. After we got delayed two days, when we finally landed there, we get off the plane. They're like, yeah, uh, yeah, somebody already took that mission uh you guys are you guys are going to attach this uh, army eod team here uh they got direct support to baghdad and uh doing the id stuff and we're like oh okay like okay and so we uh we get off we go we you know shaking hands with the guys and we're like oh yeah you know we still got our lug, we haven't even done anything we just got off the plane and and uh carrying all our stuff there and uh these guys come back uh from when they're at the side by side they're in the side by side with their gear in the back of it and they they pull up and they're like like, oh hey, yeah, yeah like, uh, We're like, hey, nice to meet you. You know, uh, you know, we're here to support you guys. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Oh uh, yeah, you guys can go in here. We'll we'll get you checked in. And then some guys, some two other guys, walk out of the gate and they're like, hey, we're going to go do an idea at the front. You guys want to go? And I was like, uh, I'm happy. I mean, I just carried my backpack off the plane. Like, I was like, uh, yeah, I guess. So, uh, yeah, we went out right out to the gate. They took care of this idea that Somebody had set, you know, on the way in uh, to the airport there. And then we come back. And I was like and they brought back the electronics and everything. I was like, holy shit, shit's real now. <laughs> shit was like, I was like, oh, wow, we we doing this. So, uh, yeah, and then, you know, we did a lot. We did a lot of, you know, did over 100 IDs on that deployment and then uh, blew up, I don't know how many caches. It got blown, blown up and stuff. It was, uh, it was pretty eye-opening. Uh, hindsight. hindsight. During the time, it was just like just doing your thing, you yeah. know. But, like, after looking back on it, that's when I started having those those, those thoughts to myself was like, what the hell was I thinking? It's, <laughs> it's amazing
0: how well your training prepares you. You know, and I talk all the time, like, I wasn't like you. I was a terrible soldier. I was, like, one of those shit (laughs) bad guys, right? So I was, like, you know, one moment from getting kicked out of the Army, like, my whole career. And then um, I get deployment. the best months. Oh, yeah, dude. (laughs) I mean, I I was good at my job. I was just terrible at being a soldier. You know, it's, like, the uniform, dress, right dress, all that. My Mm -hmm. my boots are always shit. And, you know, I didn't go to boards or do anything like that. And, you know, I was always overweight. So, like, I had a lot of stuff going for me. Uh, and, and then I talked back 24 seven, I was one of those guys that whenever you had an idea, it was like, why? And then I always had to come up with something else. And it wasn't until when I got the orders to go to Iraq and it was like, well, I can't go here and like, come home and be like this. Like, you know, I have to take my job seriously. And then you're all worried because you're like, well, i fucked around for the last four <laughs> years, you know, I've been like this complete shitbag. I was like, oh, I wish I would have paid attention, you know? And, uh. But then when you're over there, it's like, it's amazing. You know, we landed in country. We get back in Kuwait. And that was my second time in Kuwait. And so we're staging in Kuwait, and they had a uh, Scud missile attack. Mm. And uh, the sirens went off for the first time. And I I, I think the first time I was sleeping or the second time I was sleeping. Uh, but either way, I, I came out of it. And before I even realized being fully awake, I had already had half of my mop gear on, and I was donning a mask, and it was just like... Holy shit, I'd never been more terrified in my whole life. <laughs> the idea of, like, dying from chemical warfare was oh, just, yeah. like, all of a sudden became real. Oh, yeah. And, but then, time after time as I was deployed, the training had always came through. You know, the training had always came through, and it, it, it's there. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, too, I was going to mention that um, I don't think a lot of people realize in Iraq. Like, when the IED started, nobody everybody wants to picture that it's like oh you know how do you drive by and you not see a roadside bomb but they always picture the united states Mm -hmm. they don't picture a country to where there's trash piled up on the side of the Mm roads all over the place it's like it's almost impossible to find an IED. yeah you know as you're driving around it's like you know it's a pick one of the 800 things on the side of the road right now and one of those might blow up and it was not an easy thing to guard against no you know so did you guys have any like specific skills for identifying ieds or was it just once one got reported then you just went in
3: you know it was so new at the time um but you know back during my, my training and you know, everything we had to work off was with the british you know uh and all their sops they learned from the, the ira you know and uh so it was all really new you know and we kind of had to make a lot of things up on, on the fly there and uh, that actually ended up, it was kind of neat coming back and seeing the guys that were training to go doing the things that we were telling them to do. You know, they had already incorporated into the training that fast. Um, but, you know, at the time, we, you know, we were making our own uh, charges, charges to keep, you know, the water charges and stuff to uh, keep them from blowing up, uh, you know, trying to disarm them without blowing them up, you know, if it's, you know, in a, uh, you know, the ID's in a place that, you know, is frowned upon. And they started frowning upon us blowing things up all the time. Um, I got a funny story on that. I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah. They, you know, because, you know, the insurgents and everybody, the terrorists there, they they knew, you know, if they placed a, an IED in front of a mosque that we were going to try not to blow it up, you know, is what it ended up being. Or uh, because we, you know, that's not how we went into it. But we started getting pressure, you know, like, hey, that's, you know, making a lot of people angry. It's like, well, tell them to stop putting bombs in front of the mosque then mm-hmm. tell them to put them somewhere else, <laughs> you know, get, tell them to get on the, the, you know, their neighbor, whoever the hell's there, uh, you know, doing this stuff. And then, you know, I think some of the, some of the locals there started, you know, pointing out things that were like, Hey, you know, there's something up there. That's know? a new piece of trash. Yeah. yeah there's something <laughs> That's not just a uh, yeah. piece of trash. Up that there. box
0: looks different. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, when I was stationed off highway 10, And so we were in this old Republican Guard compound. They called it the 270 Thunderdome. And it was a, uh, like, probably a college, like a West Point. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we would leave and we would go down, and I don't remember what highway it off, but there was a college in Baghdad. And we'd go next to the college, and right next to the college was this ice cream shop. And it was probably not ice cream, it was gelato or whatever. I can't, I don't know the differences, so it doesn't matter to me. It tasted glorious, and that's (laughs) all I know. And the shop owner was the greatest guy ever. He was, you know, you'd go to this guy's shop, and it would just be a collection of, like, 15 soldiers, like, just hanging out on the (laughs) outside of his shop, eating ice cream, you know? And... The college area was more Western. You know, you would see like you'd get away from a lot of the religion when you were over there. You'd see women with jeans and T-shirts on and stuff. So it was just a a friendlier place for us to be. Mm -hmm. And so we would always go out there and we'd hang out. And this was a stop for months. And then uh, we show up one day and there's an IED there. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, shit. You know, and so we call it in and the EOD comes in and it was like they're like, we're going to have to blow it. And I was like, no, we, we can't blow it, you know? And he's like, he's freaking out, and we had to evacuate everybody. And uh, long story short, we blew up the ice cream shop, mm. Like, and he was so mad. Aww. He was so mad. Well, you know, that was his whole life. Yeah. Like, you know, his whole livelihood, yeah. everything that he had. And he was such a great guy. But there was no way around that. He was like, okay, you know, I can't believe you blew up my shop. And it was like, we didn't blow up your shop. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else blew up your shop. Yeah. You know, I didn't put the IED in front of the building. Yeah. And uh yeah, that was a very sad day. You got any stories like that? Like any any interesting things that might uh, have happened? Man.
3: Uh putting
0: you on the spot.
3: Yeah, there's yeah, okay. I got, I got one for you. So there's uh submunitions. Yeah, you know, the little, uh, toe pop or sub munitions that get dropped out, uh, you know, of, uh, rockets and stuff. Um, we got a call. There was a, well, we got a call that there was one in this guy's garden. Right. And, you know, they're all, a lot of them are farmers there, you know, they grow for their, their livelihood and, uh, we show up there and he's points it out to us and it's in his garden. I'll say, okay, it's a little bitty guy. We'll try to put some mitigation strategies so it didn't so when we do blow it up especially some munitions are very you know dangerous normally once they're they're out they're armed uh there's different things we can do to um mitigate it uh the blast and you know from the you know causing more damage so we did that and uh so we took care of that one and then he's like and then he points out he's like I got one on my roof i'm <laughs> like oh okay so then uh so then me and my buddy we we got up there and we're like we went up there, and it's like, oh, shit, it is one on his roof. We <laughs> were like, damn it. And then, uh, But we were able – we actually had some um, basic cast material, you know, plaster of Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually had some of that in the truck. And uh, you, you read about this stuff and uh, going through training and stuff, and it's like, wow, we're really going to do this. Like, normally, you don't do that kind of procedure on because it's, it's a little bit more uh, – You know, intrusive, a little bit more dangerous. You're on top of it more. You're, you know, pouring stuff around it. You know, it's something that's sensitive. And, uh, but we did it. And uh, we were able to pull it off his roof uh, and uh, without it going off and getting out to the garden and and blow it up. And then he, um, he's obviously thankful for that. And, Wait, uh, stop. Yeah. Back up. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay.
0: I'm visualizing this as you're talking. I just like a fishing pole. <laughs> now there's an ID on a roof. No, it's a submunition. A submunition. Yeah. Explain that so that I understand exactly what I'm, what am I visualizing here? It's
3: a little uh, submunition. I can't remember the nomenclature. I already put out my uh, disclaimer. I don't I remember, remember any of that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this little submunition, little bomblet. That gets dropped out of the sky, you know, hundreds of them, uh, and uh, they go off when they hit the ground. So they leave the, the uh, the rocket or wherever it, they arm. So uh, there was one in his garden that didn't go off, and there's one that was on his roof that didn't go off. So, um, so
0: this is just the end of a projectile, then?
3: Uh, no, it's a, it's about a, it's uh, about three inch, about three inches long. It's a cylinder.
0: It's like a candy bar. Yeah. Like a candy bar. Yeah. What yeah. kind of what kind of poof does this do?
3: Oh, it's got a little uh little shape charge. Yeah. Oh, nice. Blow and uh well, some of them have frag sleeves too for anti personnel.
0: So you have a very dangerous candy bar. <laughs> yep. And you decide to cover it with plaster of Paris. Yep. Because you
3: wanted to make a mold. Yeah, and it basically there's a fire pin that uh is being held back that's being uh that's cocked and ready to go basically. That's going to hit a primer, and when we pour that plaster of Paris all over and it dries, it gets oh, in there and and, uh, and keeps that from happening. It gets in the oh, springs. and That, all that makes stuff. sense.
0: Okay, okay. Now you pick said item
3: up. I didn't pick it up. No, no, we didn't pick <laughs> it up. How no, you do didn't... you move it off
0: the roof? Hey, new guy, come here. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm picturing them carrying this thing off the roof, and I'm like, no, no, carry, no, no, uh, no, 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 fuck that. Rope.
3: So uh, we, got, we had a long piece of line. <laughs> You're just tugging on it yeah. from the, the o- Navy. We have <laughs> from, line from the corners. <laughs> So, uh, so we made this little, basically a little dam around this thing, a little uh, dirt dam around it on his roof, and then uh, poured uh, poured that plaster paris inside. And while that was, while the plaster paris was in there, while it's still wet, put a, put our line in it, mm-hmm. end of our line. So when it dries, the line stays in. Now the you bag. in
0: full bombsuit gear? No. <laughs> I love that
1: this is the first time I've ever heard this story.
0: <laughs> okay, dude
1: balls so, yeah. of
0: fucking steel he's no got wonder a, wheel no in wonder a wheelbarrow dude he shows up he's all chill and calm and i was like okay i was like yeah you're you're kind of laid back no shit yeah so uh we did like that. a job requirement
3: uh not everybody's <laughs> like that no Some a lot of people are but you know hindsight it's like like we said talking about hindsight you know this is this 2020 you know look back on it, it's like yeah maybe i should have had something in front of me but at the same time it was like it was on his roof and it's like okay what's more dangerous you know fall off the this roof <laughs> With this stuff on You know um, So Yeah Then we just Basically Once the The plaster pairs dries You know We go to, to a safe distance Jerk that uh That line And pull it off his roof And have it Now Now it's back in the garden Where we already know How to do, deal with it there so mm-hmm. we just Go ahead and put up Mitigation strategies blow it up again Dude <laughs> that guy should have Paid you extra right? he, uh, he tried to uh, Get us To uh, bury his daughter Oh Yeah He was trying to He's like, no. That's take why it. I have You had some competition. Story, I know. That's, <laughs> what the, that's what the engineers are for. We <laughs> just come
0: over. We dig a hole. Yeah. So he, uh, that was a really morbid joke. I'm sorry if I offended <laughs> anybody out there.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he was trying to get us to take his daughter, Mary's daughter off. And we're like, I oh, don't know. No, thanks. Uh, sorry. Yeah. You know, we just, we'll just give us a shot if you need anything. You know, hopefully, you know, doing things like that there for those people. Those folks is like okay. Well, hopefully, if he sees somebody setting an ID in the future, he's lets you know. somebody down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let somebody know so you know nobody hits it.
0: Dude, that's that's wild.
3: <sighs> wow,
2: I'm really interested on your take on the spouse side. So, at what? So, you're firm firm hell bent. I'm not getting married. So, when did that change?
3: Uh, it's part of this uh, the kind of selection process. You talking to psychologists and stuff you know um it's part of the screening process and uh he was one of the guys was talking to me and he he, he pulled it out of me he tricked me and pulled it out of me and uh because I was dead set he, he tricked it, you into loving your wife <laughs> no no he tricked me into <laughs> admitting that like you know yeah I wanted to well we had we kind of at this point
1: he thought it would be almost like a mark against him, mark against like him. he's oh, not fully okay. focused on the mission because right. he's you know, engaged know. or about to be engaged.
3: In, in at this point, a lot of stuff. The place was really, really secret at the time, and there's not a whole lot of information out there. And I didn't know really anybody there. And the person, uh, only a couple of people I did know. And I, I you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just thinking, you know, if I'm married and they're looking at my, at my package here, it's like okay, well. You know, is this guy going to be, you know, focused on this family more than the mission and stuff like that, and all this other stuff? And I was like, I was like, I didn't want anything. I was laser focused and dead set on this is where I want to be. I want to be where the best are. And uh, so, um, yeah, I was talking to the this you know psychologist, and he get, he's like, kept on just poking at that, and I was like, he's like, why don't you just? He's like, are you going to marry? I was like, yeah, I you know, I probably will, you know, one day, you know. He's like, well, what are you waiting on? I was like, I was don't know. I was like, it's going to be a, like, look down on it. And he's like, and he said something that sounds silly thinking back on it. And he's like, what, are you thinking no one here is married? And I was like, well, Touche. No, I guess no. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, no one's going to hold that against you. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll get married then. So how soon <laughs> until you
0: proposed? Oh, it was
3: really quick. And you had to be shocked as shit thinking...
0: I mean, so, so, yeah. I want to know what you're thinking, right? Like, you know, going into this, that the Navy is number one priority. You know that he's so focused and and laser focused on mission first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're automatically taking a number two spot. Like, what's going through your head?
1: Um, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, like, I was still just. Still. I still am. No, but back then, you know, it's She's like, like this I used puppy to love, love you a lot. And, um, <laughs> he was, he was, Welcome to all wives yeah. ever. They he all was realize so their mistake. Different than any guy I had ever dated previously. So I was really like, I have to like lock this guy down. And I had no I mean, like my family you know, um, I mean, there are people in my family who had served, but nobody in like my immediate family. So I didn't really know what to think. Um, I had been doing long distance with him when he was in Virginia beach and, uh, like just bartending to like buy a ticket down there. And you know, that's all I was doing. And then when he went to DLI to go learn Arabic, I was kind of like, if you don't invite me to go, like, I I think I'm going to have to, like, cut my losses on this. And so he invited me to go. Um, I think at that point we had kind of known that it was heading in that direction. And I really needed to get my wisdom teeth pulled. So I needed insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we ended up just kind of getting married at a Starbucks and then going out and playing a poker tournament Later that night Wait, and... hold
0: on Back up <laughs> You got married At my favorite place In the whole world Yeah
1: We just We wanted it to be Just so
0: Dude, Starbucks If you don't start Sponsoring us now I don't right. know what's wrong With you, I seriously
1: know. So, um, yeah We just wanted it To be like Very, like this because we ha- we knew we were gonna have like a ceremony later but we just needed you that did a paper.
0: ceremony at a starbucks no
1: no 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 we just went we met like a justice of the peace like one of our buddies um witnessed that it. yeah witnessed it mm-hmm. and then we just went out and
0: was it pumpkin season he is the most basic bitch um, person you're gonna meet you know. yeah, yeah that,
1: i mean well i think it was november
0: like, this is his time. <laughs> oh, this is his Super Bowl right now. Okay. okay. I'm picturing so, all this. Oh, yeah. This is the most romantic thing I've ever heard in my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, so romantic. I'm going to come
3: to your side. So the we table. try to say that <laughs> she, married the, uh, she married the Navy then. Yeah. She married the Navy then and we got married in, uh, in July later mm-hmm. on. So in transit too.
1: Yeah, and uh, then I divorced the Navy in 2020, but I'm still married to my husband. So,
3: <laughs> so
2: earlier you were talking about you know going through your own struggles Mm -hmm. and you're seeing the the vehicles and letters coming by from spouses getting alleged that their husband and Mm -hmm. our wife have been killed Mm -hmm. in action talk about that time frame and what you went through because i don't think anyone really understands the struggles on the civilian side of a spouse
1: yeah um i was pretty much like living doomsday like every day i mean i think I think we tried to count one time and in the 10 years that we were at Dev Group, I think we lost like 50 people.
3: Yeah. Right was, or it something it right around there. that.
1: I mean the the helicopter was 31 right there in one fall swoop. I mean 30 in in a a war dog. But um yeah, and it was just like one thing after the other. Like if it wasn't um you know someone who was you know killed in action or we lost a lot of guys in training um somebody would be going through like you know a really horrible divorce and you're trying to support them or um you know you're getting ready for a deployment and like there was just times where if he was gone um and I didn't get a call from him I was like the only thing I can do right now to like settle My nervous system is to just wake up. Like, I'd wake up at 2 a.m., look at my phone, no call, oh, shit. And i just start, like, cleaning the house. Because I was like, if somebody's going to notify me, like, at least my house is going to be clean. It was, like, the only thing I could do to, like, have any type of control. So I think it was just really, like, a loss of control. I didn't feel like I was in control at all. I was kind of just being almost like pulled along. Um, After I had my son, I had to quit my job and in the veterinary industry that I really liked just because the deployments were, I mean, the operational tempo was crazy. It was like, you you know, deployment, come back two weeks, maybe like training. Um, He was doing SEAL training. And what people often don't understand is that when they come back from training with the seals they have to go right off and do their own EOD training so they're just constantly kind of gone and um i'm i always say like i'm an ultimate empath so um i absorb a lot of like what everybody else is going through so it's like i'm trying to deal with my own shit i'm like oh my god like who's going to put up You know, her husband just died, like it's Christmas time, you know, who's, who's putting up her Christmas lights, you know, like thinking of all that shit too. And just like a constant, you know,
2: whirlwind effect. Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, trying to raise my son when I'm just in a constant state of like fight or flight too. You know, it was really difficult. So I think people don't talk about like, yeah, they're they're in fight or flight, but we are, too, at home, you know, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people really understand that.
2: I mean, you look at the the media and just we'll just take movies as an example. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's tons of war movies out there. And there's really only two movies that I that I've ever seen that really kind of hit home on the home side, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously American Sniper, Chris Kyle's story where um, Taya's on the phone and he, you know, they get attacked or, mm-hmm. or the vehicle gets blown up and phone dies and she's freaking out or he's sitting on the couch and he's, he's watching TV and it's a war movie and the video pans over and the TV's off. -hmm. You know, and then you have uh, "We Were Soldiers" with Mel Gibson, Mm -hmm. where they show, yeah, where they show is you know it's the first Vietnamese American uh, war situation, and they're sending taxi drivers out because the military wasn't prepared for the amount of deaths that Mm -hmm. happened in that battle, Mm -hmm. and the taxi drivers went to her house, the 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 general's house, asking where do I take these, and she's like freaking out, you know, they don't really explain. The spouse side of things, or these, I'm gonna call it the civilization side of things. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm
1: really interested in your side. Well, I think, I think a lot of people also don't talk about like when you're, um, you know, uh, the only thing that I can give is like the special operations side because that's just really the only thing I know. But um, I think the spouses have such a loss of identity too because of that operational tempo. Like you're basically like your whole life and existence is to, like, keep them, like, operationally ready. So, right. like...
2: You can't even talk about your struggles because you need him downrange the whole time.
1: Right. And, um, you know, just, like, you have to become, like, a stay-at-home wife because you have to be the one to pick up the kids and, like, make the meals and, and do all this. And um, And then it's, like, I would go home to, like, family functions and everybody's, like, you know what have you been up to? And I would always just like default to like talking about Heath, you know, cause I was like, well, I'm not fucking doing anything, you know, like nothing. Like I wake up every day and live groundhog's day. I get up, take the kids to school, like go to the gym, do you know, like do grocery shopping. And it's just like very mundane work. So, um, you do that for like a good 10 years and you're like, you wake up one day and you're like, who the hell am I? Like, what are my hobbies? What do I like to do? You know, like, and you just kind of have to remember who you used to be at some point. Cause you're just kind of, you're in that just like, shut up and keep moving, you know, mm-hmm. just, just do what you have to do just like they're doing. Yep. And so, but I'm not, blowing shit up I'm you know I'm uh you're keeping shit together yeah Yeah, but it's not quite as like exciting or fun or and I you know like in coaching a lot of uh military or talking to the spouses you know like the guys are on training trips and yeah it's super hard work but they're you know, living in a hotel and then they're calling their wives like from the restaurant and like, oh, this trip has been so hard, you know, and you're like, you're in a fucking hotel. Like <laughs> <laughs> you just went and had beers out down the street at a restaurant with your, you know. you on so, vacation
2: blowing shit up. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really
1: hard. Like, I, I think it's really hard when you're getting those phone calls and like, yeah, of course it's hard. But like you're living in your own You know. Separate wife. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's hard to like relate to them. And I think it's them, it's hard for them to relate to us too. So resentment often builds in these marriages and that's ultimately why so many of them end. Right. Because they can't. They can't course correct.
2: I don't know the exact statistic on divorce rate in the military, especially in special ops, but I'm sure. It's all of it, I'm sure it's all over, of it. I think 95 it's, was the yeah. last yeah. one I saw. Yeah, it, yeah I it's up imagine. in the 90s for sure. So good on you guys for sticking it out. One of the questions all, I got.
3: I was in it for the get-go, but man, I don't know how she put up with it. Like, I don't know. Looking, well, you like, put like, up l- Looking with... back on it, right? <laughs> right. Looking back on it, you know, and I'm just like, man. I was gone and just checked out for most of even when I was home I was pretty checked out as, as you know mentally and connection wise and then it was just like wow how did she knew the thing? potential
0: at the end Did yeah. you find it was it was difficult like when he would return you know one of the things I've always said about deployments when I've tried to communicate like the dynamic of what's happening is the person that stays home life keeps going mm-hmm. the person that leaves it stops Like I know every time I left for deployment, my life would stop the minute I left. And then it was like now I was doing this other thing. But everything in my world was the day that I left. And that's what I kept wanting to come back home to. Mm -hmm. And then when you get back home, it was always such a difficult transition because you realize that this other person has lived this last six, seven months of life or a year of life that you just didn't. Mm-hmm. Your life just kind of stopped and you're still living a year ago. And now this other person is a year in the future with all this other stuff going on. Like, how did you guys deal with that? The dynamic of realizing that, you know, you've got a, was he just completely different? I mean, how uh, how did that go?
1: I mean, I th- I think obviously being a military wife requires you to be extremely independent because you have to it's all on you now once they leave and that that's another thing once you become extremely independent you kind of get that mindset like well I've been doing this for six months like I don't need you you know or like they come home and they're throwing a wrench in your you know finely tuned operation you have going on here and so resentment and all of that yeah. and uh, basically
3: come home and start setting IDs around the routine <laughs> yeah yeah, around their routine
1: um or just like it, it it's really hard to because i'm expecting him to come in and like read my mind like find your place like i'm not going to tell you where your place is or, or what to do um like you find you work your way around me, I guess, and I think that that probably we just didn't have the tools, you know. Nobody teaches you how to be a military wife; they teach them how to train. Nobody trains us, um, and I think that required a lot more communication or a plan um, to kind of be like, "What is uh, home integration going to look like when you get back?" Or, but I mean, I think for the most part, we figured it out pretty well. But there were definitely times where it was harder than not. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is um, after a while, you know, I was hitting my breaking point. You were coming home and you were completely emotionally shut off. And it was like we were both just...
2: Numb? Yeah, yeah I mean. just
1: completely numb and... Um, yeah, we we couldn't get on the same page because we were living two different lives with the same trauma, but living it like differently.
2: So, um, at what stage did the foundation come in play?
1: Uh our foundation. Yes, um, we didn't do that until we moved to Colorado Springs. We we had left the command. Um, he had gone and went to NICO, and that's the uh, what is it? The National Intrepid Center of Excellence. That's where a lot of uh, special operations guys go to get head-to-toe checked before they retire, and that was really eye-opening yeah, it's a, for uh, us.
3: It's a branch of Walter Reed, specialized branch of Walter Reed. You know, they check out the Push mike stress, uh, TBI, their TBI clinic. They really, really put a lot of research uh, into that into that stuff. Did you
2: have a high score on that? Because being around bombs,
3: I'm sure you've had a few knockdowns. Yeah, so few they, knockdowns. they've learned so much over mm-hmm. – um, over the, time, over the time period. and uh, I mean,
1: these mild TBIs yeah, that this, have this come mildness. into play. Um, I mean, that's like newly discovered shit from just like 10, 15 years ago that, that they really me. started. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's, uh, you know, so in the way it's explained to me, um, the way I kind of look at it, you know, of course you're going to have a TBI. You get hit by an IED or you're right next to a door charges bang on oh, your bells ringing. Um but the ones that you are, you know, you're setting off an explosion and it's, you know, you're at the safe distance you've always been told to be at and you set it off and you feel that thump and you you feel that shockwave kind of go through your, uh, through your chest, you know, um, if you experience experienced that, well, your brain's feeling that also. And those add up. If you do that a lot of times and those shockwaves keep just keep going through there, they cre- they've they learned that, you know, that creates damage, you know, um, very similar to, uh, you know, getting rocked by you know an ID or something so like it it's um like
1: even like parachutes opening it kind oh of yeah like, like ring. laying yeah. in like
3: a sack of shit on the, on the <laughs> ground uh, of a parachute yeah so um and there's quite a few of those so um so what was your score oh I didn't have a score oh you didn't uh, they you know, didn't give you a percentage
0: so. of TBI or anything like that
3: no I don't think so and right. uh but they they Basically, had you know, because they do the MRIs and all that stuff, and they look at the different matter and white matter and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even pretend to try to remember all that, but um, but I, I was okay. I mean, I think my biggest, my biggest, I think symptoms symptoms that were noticing infected me the most was uh post post traumatic stress, which I was completely unaware of. I thought mm-hmm. I, was, I was good. Like I didn't, I I was going to that place to. I was getting ready to retire soon and I wanted to get all my aches and pains and everything I'd been putting off, uh, documented so I could do, uh, so I could file my VA claims and stuff. And, uh, yeah. And then come to find out, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, symptoms overlap, uh, with TBIs mm-hmm. and, um, and post traumatic stress. Yeah. So like, uh, uh, so, you know, looking, looking back on it you know, after, at the end, it's a, it's a four week uh, ordeal, three weeks, you stay there and do it all, Do you know, and I, I chose to do like the non-medicine route. I didn't want medicine, so they had me doing like all this yoga stuff and all this meditation, breath work stuff and I was just Art, like, therapy, art therapy, music therapy, music therapy stuff. Now
2: you're going from being with SEAL Group to art therapy where you're like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? But, there, but he's
1: there <laughs> I was. with it. I mean, all the other guys yeah, are yeah, there the, have gone through it. Or... Yeah,
3: then was you know, only, you're surrounded by other guys from uh, other specialized mission units and stuff and so it's like, it's only these high-end uh operators that are there you know and we're just like man okay well, i guess we'll we'll do this you know and uh you know they, th- they have you feel i always say they always have you you know to fill out that standard uh site questionnaire that it's the same one i don't know how many they use it all over the place the you know are you happy are you depressed are you blah blah, blah? I was like yeah i'm fine yeah i'm happy <laughs> no i'm not depressed why would i be depressed are you sad no why, why would i be sad and all this other stuff so it's like uh, and then, but you know, then toward, like, after about three weeks of doing this stuff uh, and uh, going through all these other appointments stuff, I was walking down the street, going to another appointment. You're surrounded, like, by all these high-skilled, specialized docs, like, ten different doctors around you all day long, going from one to the next. After about three weeks of doing all this stuff, I was walking down the uh, street, and I was like, I started, like, having this, like, feeling. And it was like, I was like, man, I was like, maybe I am sad.
1: A feeling.
3: Yeah, a feeling. Right. <laughs> so, like, I was like, maybe I am sad. And I was like, what the hell am I sad about? Like, what the hell. And then I start getting kind of angry. Like, what the, f- what the hell's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, what's what the hell's going on? And then you start getting defensive, you know? Like, so, uh, in the fourth week, they, they fly the significant others out if you're married and stuff. And then they kind of catch them up all in the science and stuff you've been learning about, about, uh, the, you know, autonomic nervous system imbalance and all, and all, like, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then, the, so they caught her up on everything, and then we were talking to our social worker that was there. She's kind of counseling through some stuff. And you
1: kind of like a marriage coun- counseling session? Yeah.
3: And uh, and then she, she what, I don't know, she asked me a question, and I don't even remember what it was, um, but it, it obviously made me uncomfortable, and I, like, you know, checked out one of that fight or flight, and... Uh, And she's like... We
1: called you on it? They
3: called me on it, basically. You know, she's (laughs) like... like, you
1: just... Like, I saw it in his face. I was like, you just checked out.
3: Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay. uh," I was like, "What?" no, I didn't. I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm, like, looking at him, and I started getting hot. I started, like... I mean, I started getting, like, immediately. Like, got really hot. My skin got really hot. And I started uh, having this, like, kind of almost, like, laughing crying thing going it was super awkward and just like what the like what's going on and she's like you're having you're trying to have like a real emotion and your you body. haven't had one in so long your body's trying to reject it.
1: Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah.
3: yeah. Wow. So
1: you didn't know whether to like cry or laugh or get hot It was, just, it, was like... it was
3: just it was super awkward. And uh and then after that I was just like, wow. Like I got I got some stuff going on. I was not tracking, mm-hmm. and um, and then, you know, when we were leaving there, because going into that, I was, you know, veteran suicides were they've always been high, yeah, and uh, I never knew like why guys would you know kill themselves after they you know got out of the service or even suddenly know a lot that we were in. I was like, why? I was like, you know, or the PTSD guys, the guys who get sent home from deployment because a rocket landed you know three hundred yards away from him or something. You know, like, like why? I'm like, well, why that was that guy going home like. You know, I've been around all this stuff and dead bodies and blown up people all over the place. Like, I'm fine. Like, what? I'm fine. You like, think what you're are, fine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's think it's fine? You are.
1: It's fine. Everything's fine.
3: Yeah, <laughs> like this is normal. Yeah, it's yeah. normal, right? It's normal. Yeah. And you run into this to um, run into a lot of this with uh, EMTs just here in the states. Yep, it's it's normal for them. Mm. Like, but now that guy, when he's with his wife and kids, drives by by that place, he starts to relive that in his head, and and stuff. So, so leaving there after that whole experience leaving there, it was just like very eye-opening and uh, I was like, wow, this is a special place It quite frankly probably could have saved my life, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because who knows what would have happened later on, you know what I mean? Uh, Being shut off and being unaware Mm -hmm. of what was going on and, uh, but, I was also wondering, you know, all this stuff, I was like, like I said, there's only very elite operators there and that was it and I was like, well, like what about the police and the EMTs? Yeah, like in the like like emergency room workers and stuff. Like what about? Do they know all this stuff is happening?
1: And I think also like that week that I came in, um, that was really eye opening for me because they kind of teach you like the science between. Um, like sympathetic dominance and operator syndrome and like what's actually like biologically, like physiologically happening to them from being in this hypervigilant state for so long. And so I was able to be like, Oh, he's not just an asshole. Like who maybe doesn't love me anymore because there's not that like emotional range anymore. And so I was able to have like quite a lot more compassion, um, and, uh, I wanted to say if, if, if you ever check out the mask wall at Nyco, I think you can see it hmm. on, uh, yeah. like if you Google it, but it's all like these special operators, they make a mask out of like plaster and in, in the art studio. And it's like, every time I see it, I cry because it, um, it's showing like their pain on these masks that they're making, you know, and some of them are like two sided. Like one of them has like just, you know, like a bottle going into their face. And then like the other side is like the American flag or just like yeah, it's just heart wrenching. Uh... Where was this at? at um, NICO. And I C O E and then like mask wall is isn't that what it's called?
3: Yeah, they get a lot of masks there.
0: So you guys get to the end of this experience, and it sounds like it saved your marriage mm-hmm. potentially.
3: Yeah, yeah, it probably saved everything. But at the end was when we we're leaving, we were leaving that place. I remember vividly we're leaving the place, and I was telling her I was like, "Wow, this is." I was kind of like sad to go. I was like, "Wow, this is a uh, special place." Um. That's when we started asking ourselves, like, well, do the police, the the EMT know about this? I was like, what about all the the Army guys I was with back in 03 for my first deployment? They got extended for another Mm -hmm. six months. They were over there for 18 months. I was like, what about those guys? I was like, (laughs) somebody needs to tell them all this stuff, you know? Well, like, uh, I mean, a lot
1: of people have been kicked out and not given, you know, honorable discharge because... They were drinking their faces off or self-medicating or numbing. And I don't think that they were given the benefit to kind of say, like, this This was put on me through my service and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and then, like, our our police officers and firefighters, like, they live in their war zone. Like, they don't get to go somewhere and then come home. Like, they're passing the same place every day that there might have been a catastrophic event or traumatic event. And so they don't really get that escape to leave a deployment and come home to somewhere safe.
0: So my obvious question is, and I love your guys' background story, and it helps to understand so much more about you and where you come from and why you have the trauma. How do you find your way to plant medicine? Like, what, how does um, that, how do, how do you go from that moment in the hospital to saying no to the drugs, to... Yeah, avoiding the, the
2: the cocktail of medication,
0: right? Yeah. To to going, you know what? I I think plant medicine might be something to look into.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, after NyCo, um, we kind of got big into yoga and meditation. I ended up going on to become a yoga instructor and um, doing like a lot of that training. It's a lot of like self inquiry and you know doing stuff like that. So i kind of got really fascinated with like ego disillusion like what does that feel like what is that all about and uh you know i i had healed like a lot of aspects of myself from yoga i was able to like learn to kind of slow down and all that but there was definitely i mean you know just fixed 15 years of shit like you know overnight um And so vets, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions, um, I had heard that they were doing grants for spouses, and so I put in for that. And uh, so I went with six other special operations spouses down to Mexico, and we did, um, I think the first night, we did um, psilocybin with MDMA, and then the next day we did 5-MeO-DMT, and it was... I was able to let go of so much, Um, specifically like that first night. I remember I was like a Russian doll, like, you know, the Russian dolls, like in my in my trip or in my experience, like I was just layered dolls, the the
3: little ones that look like yeah, the layered dolls.
1: But every time I would like crack open like a new one, like I was being like draped like, by an American flag, like, it would, like, almost being, like, suffocated by it, and I'd have to, like, work my way out of it, and then I was like, okay, like, what does this mean, and then, like, something would pop up, and it's like, you need to, you know, like, shut the chapter on that, like, I was carrying so much, I mean, I think I carried a lot of survivor's guilt, I'm sure, too, um, Just because, especially after extortion, I was not fucking dealing with shit, right? And I was like, look at all these strong wives. And um, so I was able to tell myself, like, look, you got out of this. Not unscathed, but your marriage is still solid. Your kids are still good. Like, you can always remember, you can honor, but this is not yours to carry. And so it, it helped me really reframe close close that chapter and kind of move be able to move forward with like hope so that was kind of my experience and then um they kind of cultivated like a little women's group um of uh of military wives who were interested in learning more about the medicine and so then I got Um, to go live in Peru with the indigenous Shipibo people and learn about ayahuasca for two weeks and then became a psychedelic integration coach um, working with veteran organizations. So that's kind of where I'm at
3: now.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. So you're a psychedelic integration coach. Mm -hmm. And now what I think is interesting about this is you've went so far down this road Mm-hmm. All the way into coaching and, and exploring all these other plant medicine options, and he hasn't done any of it. Mm-hmm. You know, how has that dynamic been?
1: It's better now. Um, I still really wish he would do it because I just know how healing it can be, but I also understand that it takes people time because. For someone who has been through what he's been through, that is opening Pandora's box, so to speak, and you have no idea really what's going to come out. There's you can prepare, um, but you never know what you you know. We did psychedelics a, are like a box of chocolate. You it, never know what you're going to. You're not joking.
2: <laughs> so I'll talk to you directly. So my experience with psychedelics before two months ago was zero. I mean, I can't say zero. I would take like a gummy for to go to sleep or something mm-hmm. like that. Never tripped pot nothing so we did a hop ceremony which is like dipping your toes in ayahuasca and long story short and i've already said on the podcast so i don't repeat myself but i'll tell you later is it it helped me grieve of a loss that i had when i was nine years old and i had no idea and, and, and then it helped me grieve two other losses that were maybe 10 years ago it was grandparents is what it was beforehand i couldn't talk about my grandpa ernie and my grandma rose without just losing it. But my grandpa Kenny, I'm like, eh, I was nine, no big deal. That whole experience opened Pandora's box.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I I mean, I was laying right there on the floor, weeping like a, just could not control my emotions. But after that ceremony, I have like a acceptance or a, like a calming, homing, a grounded feeling of accepting that they are gone. And I'm okay with it because they, they're at peace. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds cliche when you're like, oh, you're at peace, but it's different because I saw them in a state that they were happy. They mm-hmm. were a light. They were just, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And before that ceremony, I, me and my grandpa Ernie, growing up, we were hunting buddies. I go to Pennsylvania. We go to deer hunting every year. And I saw him in this vision. He was in his hunting clothes walking me through our property. Nice. you know. And they're playing music, and they, the lyrics of the song says, don't be afraid, let the spirit guide you through the woods. So I'm like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me right now? Like, what's the odds <laughs> of that? And now it's, I can talk about him and them, and it's just, it's different. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that I had that that buried grief from when I was nine. Yeah, And that kind of made me nervous. Like, well, shit, if I started burying shit at nine, what else is there? Oh, yeah. You know, we're talking Crazy. 30 years later, so what else is in that box? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to do it again. That's
1: so awesome. I'm so happy like yeah. you've had awesome. an experience like that. But that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, our ego wants to... Protect us yep. from that stuff, and so when you take psychedelics, um, that ego goes away, and all that stuff comes up, and it's just like a very magical, like beautiful way it's of because, like I always say, the only way out is through. And a lot mm-hmm. of times with trauma, like our ego is like, no, this is in that box, and it will stay there forever. And psychedelics is like, oh, not today. All the no. boxes. <laughs> that, that ego, um, but it it a lot. I mean, I I had a very 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 difficult trip um my second night on ayahuasca um I, and I had suffered like suicidal ideation and all that stuff and I actually had to like get in a coffin and bury myself and I was looking up and looking at my family like looking down at me and it like gave me that was like Why did I ever think that? This is never the position I ever wanted to be in, you know, but it allowed me to like see that, you know, that's never something, yeah, that I would ever want for myself. So even though something like that is very difficult to see, like I was prepared to see it. I was embracing seeing it because that's what I needed to get over that. You know, that 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 would somehow be better than, you know, what I'm doing right now.
0: Well, that's know? the thing about ego is it's like what he said earlier. It's the biggest problem with everybody is we don't know what's bothering us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And in uh, that same Hoppe ceremony that uh, he was talking about, um, I had a revelation. It was a very small one just about fear, mm-hmm. you know, and. Up until that point, I hadn't really even, I was the same way as you. It was like, fear of what? Like, you know, and all I could just let go of fear. And I was like, but I'm not afraid of anything. Like, you know, (laughs) like, I don't understand, like, Mm -hmm. what am I going to be afraid of? And then you start coming up with all the reasons why you're not afraid. And then I I, I leave that. And then a few weeks go by and I'm, I'm working on my prep toward ayahuasca. And then ayahuasca happens. And here I am, you know, weeks after that. You know, I'm still working on fear. I realize I'm afraid of everything. (laughs) And so it was like, it's amazing how it pulls to the surface these things that you don't even realize are issues. Mm -hmm. And then ends up being this huge issue in your life. And it's the things that you're lying to yourself the most about. And that's one of the things I've had a few people question me. Because my beliefs on what I experienced is is a little bit different, you know, like we talked about in the kitchen, I believe you go to the other side of the veil and these Mm -hmm. are personal beliefs. But, you know, I had somebody challenging that the other day and I said, does it matter? Does it matter? What? Let's just say it's all in my head. None Mm -hmm. of it's real. I don't, there is no spiritual world. I don't go to the other side of the veil, whatever. The lessons are still the same, right? Yep. Did I still get the same healing? Yeah. Yeah. So what does it matter? I just, yeah. I think
1: I did a post about this the other day about like the placebo effect and it's like, well, who gives a shit? Like if yep. that works, if that does something in you that makes you change your mind, that makes you think that, you know, If like, it makes you happy and yeah.
0: it, good for you. Yeah, That's yeah.
1: exactly. Who cares?
0: Well, what's right. so funny is we live in a world where everybody is looking for a magic pill. Mm-hmm. If I, If I gave you a pill right now and I said, hey, this is going to make you lose weight. People take it. I take the whole no box. questions, No questions <laughs> asked, right? Mm-hmm. We just want a miracle cure for everything. Mm-hmm. But then when you come down to plant medicine, then they all, well, what's the science? Mm-hmm. Well, how does that work? Well, what do you think is really happening? It's out it, there, it's, baby. Yeah. See John
1: Hopkins. Yeah, it's, it's all yeah.
0: over the place, one. Yeah. Two, it works, and it consistently works. The results are evident, mm-hmm. and you don't have to look far yeah. to find them. And yeah. everybody that you see go through this comes up with some life-changing experience, yeah. you know? But it is, it can be very difficult. Yeah. It, it it can be things that you don't want to face or you mm-hmm. don't want to experience, and, and that makes it more difficult. But, but I
1: also think, and this is just like an another personal, you know, belief that I have that We talked about a lot with um, the Shipibo people in Peru that these medicines have an intelligence. And so when you surrender and you see what it wants to show you, whether that be, you know, the good, the bad or the ugly, you are somehow rewarded on the other side. You know, like with me, that was a horrible experience, but I ended up feeling so much stronger coming out of it you know Mm -hmm. and then like my third ceremony was much more pleasant it was like okay you saw what you needed to see now here's you know here's a nicer more more calm you know ceremony experience but um yeah, I mean, I th- I think it definitely has an intelligence. And I think a lot of um, the indigenous people who have been using this medicine for thousands of years can attest to that.
2: I'm going to call him the, the medicine man that, that did our ceremony for us. And I I say there's a lot of truth to what you said because mm-hmm. one thing he told us was to set our intentions. Mm-hmm. As a person who's never used anything, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? You know, And I'm like, I don't know what my intentions are. Like, what do I need to work on? he said, well, just ask the medicine to to do what it thinks you need to do. So I'm like, all right. So I made my intentions of just guide me what you think I need to heal on. Mm -hmm. And that's where it took me. Yeah. So I I firmly believe that there's definitely some effects of the medicine that that it's.
1: And like as a psychedelic integration coach, like what we do is we help people set their intentions or like, what do you think may come up? Like, what is unprocessed that. So if something like a death or, you know. um You lost a lot of um, these gold star wives are going through it in one of the studies. So it's like that's obviously, you know, a potential that could come up like how what are your tools to deal with that? Like if that comes up and then like a psychedelic experience is kind of like a lucid dream also so it's not like you're interpreting things literally like you have to read into kind mm-hmm. of the messages so that's what the integration on the other side is like what did this what did this mean what was this trying to show me cuz you're not going to get the whole you know big picture in one fell swoop and and they actually say don't try and interpret it while you're in it you know give yourself that time to just mm-hmm. be in it and enjoy be the explorers. present yeah. don't try and rack your brain what does this mean you know i'm
0: still having come togethers. yeah i'm still having things that i'm waking up and, and i'm realizing like wow and, and one of the things that's done for me and we talked about this a little bit earlier is um uh, it's changed my relationship with other drugs, Mm -hmm. like cannabis especially. And what it's made me realize, and going back to that intelligence, is one of the best advice that i got i got from ryan Carey, the guy that does the operation purify mm-hmm. um because i told him i said man i'm having a really hard time smoking weed now that i've done ayahuasca i said the the high is so intense and i said uh i'm getting paranoid and some other things and i've never really had that before on weed so that's that's uh, unusual for me and one of the things that he had said is he you know he he readdressed the the spirit of the the plant mm-hmm why that's important, setting your intentions that, you know, these things are dangerous recreationally. That that's the biggest thing I've taken from this is I've recreationally used marijuana now for three years and I've recreationally used, you know, psilocybin and I've, you know, yeah, I've done it with the idea of like therapy, mm-hmm. um, trying to heal myself uneducated. Yeah. Right. But now that I realize how powerful the plants are, it's completely eliminated that side of it for me. I realize that these are not coping mechanisms. These are not things to be used recreationally. These are not for fun. Mm-hmm. They they can be, but you're dealing with a very powerful plant. Yeah. You're dealing with a very powerful spirit, and you need to respect that. And so I've started setting intentions when I smoke, and I've started doing things now t- uh, more intentionally. In fact, I won't touch psilocybin outside of a mm-hmm. ceremony now. Um, it's completely terrified me of that.
1: Yeah, and... Exactly like you said, the more respect and, like, reverence you give to the plant, um, it tends to—I believe it gives back to you because you're building that reciprocal kind of relationship with it. Like, often in, like, dietas, um, you're not supposed to um, bring in any other— plant you know like you're you're committed you're in a relationship with that plant right now for however long you decide to do it. Um, I mean that's a whole nother story that's getting really deep into you know the plant medicine work but um, so how how far out are you because I'm sure you've heard of like the pink cloud stage. Have you?
0: Um, I don't remember. I don't know. Are I, you three I weeks imagine... out? Or? No, I think I'm further than that. Oh, I'm probably okay. four or five. Okay. I am far enough out that I have officially felt the window closing. Okay. So I'm not as connected as I was. I had a moment, especially afterward, where, um, my third eye, I, so to speak, mm-hmm. was very open. Yeah. And I felt extremely connected. And um, now I'm getting to the point to where I can I can actually feel that closing. But what I've been doing to counteract that is increasing meditation, Mm -hmm. increasing focus, setting more intention with cannabis. And and a lot of my come togethers, like the lessons that I've been learning, uh, have been with cannabis. And it's been like kind of opening my eyes to the, so to speak, to like different stages. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all the way down to, you talk about the intelligence of the plants. I'm realizing that there were things that happened during that period that directly tied into the the lessons or the messages i call them lessons Mm -hmm. you know because i Mm -hmm. feel like i went to school i went to school in church you know i didn't have any hospital nights and um now i'm realizing that also everything that was happening around that event were part of the lessons Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to have come-togethers with that. But that's been revealed to me with cannabis and, yeah. and setting intentions.
1: And so maybe we should, like, shift from more of, like, less of the woo-woo stuff and talk more scientifically, like, um, especially with veterans, how you say. And I think we've all experienced, sorry, Heath, maybe one day, but um, <laughs> that you get this kind of acceptance Um of, you know, what was and and kind of this new hope going forward. And so you come out of it with this acceptance. And then on a physiological level, like your brain is firing all of these new neurons and creating new pathways. So they say within those three weeks after a plant medicine journey, um, that's like the Prime time to start creating like new habits, and I think that's why bringing in the integration coaches and working with, um, you know, either a, a therapist or a counselor to start laying that foundation for you know what your new future is going to hold is so important. I think that's why it works for veterans so well, is because you or getting that acceptance, you actually have a newfound hope, and then you have this just window of opportunity to just build on that. So I think that's really important
0: as yeah, well. I like that you said that because that's one of the things that I remembered as you were speaking, that you're also going to school for psychology. Yeah. Yeah, so you have a lot of scientific background and, and basis and understanding the the human psyche and how the brain functions a lot more than most people. And so,
1: Yeah, I mean, and... Like I said, th- this was all catapulted from my psychedelic experience, my first one. I mean, I was like, I want to go back to school. I want to learn, you know, I want to go for psychology. I want to be able to work pro bono with veterans through my organization. Um, and so this is this was kind of my path. And, and since that, I've been laying this foundation. You know, I, I got... A purpose well
0: let's it. talk a little bit about the foundation the foundation is called humble warriors
1: mm-hmm. humble yeah. warrior wellness yeah. yeah
0: so let's talk about that okay what, what, what do you want to talk about I <laughs> want to talk about like what is the foundation what does it do specifically? What are services? What are outreach programs that you have? Just tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so um, for anybody that wants to know or go online and see our many services, um, it's www.humblewarriorwellnesscenter.org. Um, if you reach out to us in an email and you have a specific service that you're into, like I don't think we have hyperbaric um On our services list, but what we do is we kind of help financially support veterans, um, their families, and first responders um, to kind of get holistic um, modalities to help them with their mental health and wellness. So, if that's like a yoga membership, float tank, alpha stim, um, if you're interested in a plant medicine retreat, um, you can reach out and we can help you find like a very reputable place that is safe. Um, but I mean, what I like we also have, um, just the educational seminars that we can give you that talk about operator syndrome or sympathetic dominance. If, um, you know, you have problems in your marriage and need help, um, getting through that. A so lot
3: of, uh, a lot, of what I found at NICO uh, super beneficial was the science behind that and seeing that what what's actually physical uh, physiologically what's going on in your brain right now in your body and learning um learning that it's one it's normal it's necessary for our species to survive right and uh it's normal for anyone who's been put in any of these types of situations and uh and that it's and another thing I'd like to bring up also it's it's not it's not only for people who are gone to war it's for guys who train because when you're training, mm-hmm. you're in that fight or flight. Your bo- your body and brain deals. They're doing it's doing the same exact thing, right? It doesn't differentiate between well, yeah, like between the real and the fake.
1: We talk about it treats uh, it the same. Big T and little T. Like big trauma would be like the death of, you know, a spouse or something, and then little trauma could be anything from, you know, uh, just like an accident or. Um, you know, uh, uh, verbal abuse from us, you know, but once that becomes like repetitive trauma, that ends up being a big trauma. Um, so it doesn't take this big, huge event to create a large traumatic event. It could be these small repetitive things. So we have a lot of veterans being, feeling like they are not worthy of, the medicine or of our services because they've never been in combat and it's like no dude like it doesn't work that way the brain doesn't differentiate trauma um, everybody differently trauma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well all the same things are are going off you know your cortisol your stress all of that is happening and your brain's not like well your dog died or your husband died you know you're having the same chemical reactions and. Um, the body it just reacts to trauma. It doesn't know what the trauma I hope,
2: is. I hope EMT really listens to this because I, I have a buddy that's an EMT and he was talking about how he's just numb of all the bad stuff mm-hmm. when he goes on a call. And I'm like, man, you should do a hot bay ceremony, you know, or yeah. or you know, dip your toes in ayahuasca because being numb to that stuff, I'm I'm gonna call it not normal, but it helps you kind of just break down why it's not normal and why it's okay mm-hmm. to. I mean, it's okay to accept, but. They're, yeah. they're it's, it, yeah. pan, going back to Pandora's box. Yeah. There's a
3: time and place for it, right? So, yeah. like, it's like when you're out there and you are in that fight or flight situation, that you're there to help you remain calm, to see clear. Your senses are open, right? So you can do what you're there to do efficiently and properly, right? But the problem is, being in that state over and over and over. Now, when you go home, it doesn't just switch off, or you're your levels and all your things just drop and fall at the bottom. Now you're just like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And then, or you get back home and then now your wife or your son, you're having a problem with your son doing homework or something. Mm-hmm. And like now all of a sudden your brain's, you're going right back to that same level super fast because your body likes to be there. That's where it operates. That's better. your baseline. It's now. a comfort yeah. zone. It's a comfort yeah. zone, yeah. Right. So it, when it's like, why am I why am I getting like this right now? It's because your body's used to it. It's that that super highway in your brain that's been built over time, it's going to take you there. And I think that's what's you know you brought up earlier about the, the psychedelics opening up all those highways, right? So you have these super highways in your brain, these interstates that are formed over time, and these other ones that have kind of been shut off, you know, they're little dirt roads now, you know, that are probably more healthier ways of dealing with things. They're going to different parts of connection, right? Uh, some parts of your brain that get cut off by those super highways are connection mm-hmm. and being able to feel real uh, primary feelings. So, when you uh, when you exactly. <laughs> when you actually uh, take those psychedelics and you know the science and you know behind it, basically, it's taking that soup that interstate. We're gonna make that just a two lane road now, and then mm-hmm. we're gonna make that dirt road that was cut off. We're gonna make that a two lane road too, and then going back to the integration piece. Now you have that chance to make that healthy route afterwards. That's that's opened up that road for you. Let's make that one the superhighway now, mm-hmm. and not this other one, right? So now you have access to your feelings. And now you could have uh, connections again. Yeah. I remember going back to connections. I remember um, when I got back from NICA, I'd go watch my son run. Thinking back and looking back on it, I'd watch him. He's a great cross-country runner uh, back in uh, grade school. He'd, be, he'd do these races, and he would, he would win and, or come in second place. And uh, you know, I was clapping, and I was like smiling. And I was like, this is, I thought that's what happy felt like. You know,
1: you're going through the motions. Yeah, going but... through the
3: motions and seeing, like, I, you know, and I was like, I, th- I thought I was happy until after I got finished with Nico. I practiced more meditation, yoga, uh, constantly, and uh, and got you know balanced myself out quite a bit more. And then, you know, when you know, now now, and even then, when I, I'd hug him or my my new my newborn who was who was uh, new. Put them up against me. I'd feel that like connection, and it's like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it gets you to like reflecting back. It's like, oh wow, I haven't felt that, and I don't remember. You know, so you just don't know what you don't know. You know, until yeah. Yeah. until I think that's what what's great about all these different uh, modalities and all these different ways of uh, of healing is it that awareness. It really brings it to the forefront, right? Of uh the awareness and being aware of things, and then mm-hmm. I think once once you are aware of it and you understand start understanding more about why it's happening, then it's like, okay, I got this, you know you can find a find a plan you know, especially right. like
2: deal with it appropriately yeah, yeah
3: and yeah. and you know uh veterans and first responders the majority are all really wanting to they're not afraid, you know most most mm-hmm. aren't afraid, sorry. No. <laughs> That's okay. no, 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 um, no. But, but yeah, they're, so, they're, they're they're not afraid to put the work in. Yeah. You know, they're not afraid to put the work yeah. in. So at Humble Warrior, right
1: we have our s- s- some services listed online. But if um, there is a veteran or first responder that has done research and found something that is um, like a holistic modality that we don't offer, um, reach out to us. Our email is on that website. And what we do is we fi- help to um, financially like mitigate those costs and help them, uh, pay for whatever services that they need that might not be covered by insurance. So That's that
3: was amazing things that, um, after, uh, we left NICO, the, um, I had a lot of buddies who left there and, and not everybody had the same experience I did. And some people, you know, they came back, they, and, um, and were coming back and they're like, wow, I got, that was great while I was there, but then I came home and there was you know, it's back in the chaos, you know, that I didn't have any of this time to go do all this stuff or there's nowhere to go to do that. And um, so that was another reason why we were like, OK, well, let's let's take out the excuses. Let's find places for them to go do these things. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, service uh, members, you know, it's a it's a life of service. Right. So um, they don't want to take uh, money off the plate. You know, they don't want to pay for it because. You know, it's take they view it, of, you know, taking money away from my family for, for myself. You know, they don't want to, they they almost look at it as being selfish, right? So, at humble war, we really try to take out all the excuses and provide with all the resources and education that we can, so that you know we can equip them with. Okay, there's no excuses now, and usually when there's no excuses, they'll they'll take care of it. You know, and they'll yeah. uh, they'll at least uh, you know inquire about different things and try different things. Sometimes it's just worth to invest in yourself. It yeah, is. it is. And yeah, what you and like like you- what
1: you said about Nico, a lot of the guys coming home and it's back in chaos. That often happens after these psychedelic retreats too. They're in this beautiful, like all inclusive space. Everything is slow. All they have to do is work on themselves, and you know the phones are taken away. And and then they come home and they're you know it's like back to the grind, back to the chaos. So I think that that's another reason why the integration piece is so important
0: yeah I like that you focus so much on integration and that has been the, the biggest struggle and, and in fact the uh, the last ceremony that I was at one of the things that the shaman said was that uh, you know when you're in this environment everything is all rosy and great mm-hmm. but the second you, you get three inches down the road you just go back to that world that's not this way mm-hmm. and the integration becomes so important and the work that you put in yeah and,
1: and I think that that's like oftentimes what makes the difference between recreational and like this really profound healing experience is doing the work on the front end and the back. Because like we said, it's not a magic pill. People go to it thinking it's going to be, but a lot of the insights and messages and are are after the fact that you have to there
0: is no magic pill it (laughs) all takes work Mm -hmm. yeah and that's one of the things that i hope that uh stops being so taboo Mm -hmm. is like what he said it's like self-work you got to work on yourself. That needs to stop being taboo. Yeah. We we get we get so focused on mitigating and handling the things in our environment, and we think because we wake up at a certain time, or because we go to work, and we can handle certain levels of stress, or we can do this, or we can do that, that we're just good. Yeah, doesn't mean you're good. No, you know, I I if I've learned anything in the last few years of my life, it's that the most important uh the most important piece to preparation is being individually and personally prepared mm-hmm. because then that is the person that's going out and dealing with whatever's happening in your environment. Whether it be job opportunities, whether it be new career things that are coming along, whether it be challenges with your family, your children, it doesn't matter. You, who you are, the person is the individual that is dealing with these things directly. And if you're not good, Mm. then you're not going to be prepared. You're not going to be ready and you're going to cause problems and it's going to not go the way you want it to go. You could have the greatest opportunity in the world happen. But if you're not ready for that opportunity, doesn't matter. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You're gonna
0: it's gonna I, go away.
1: I don't know where this concept that like self-care is selfish, like came came to be because like when you are right, when you're doing things for you, when you're your best self, like you have more bandwidth, you can give back more, you oh yeah, you know, like you you're just better yeah, your window of tolerance is open, all of that and um, yeah, we have to, we really have to, I, I think we've done a pretty good job in the last five years, but there's definitely, you know, more work that needs to be done of getting over that stigma that if I take care of myself, I'm I'm taking away from something else. I don't know.
0: Well, if somebody out there is listening and they're interested in some of the services that you guys offer, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Um, our email and uh, my my personal phone number, uh, is on the website. But, um, yeah, our email is, um, humble warriors with an S on the end wellness at gmail.com. And like I said, uh, that's all on the website. It will also link you to our Facebook and Instagram as well. And I answer every, um, Every email that comes in or a private message, so.
0: Well, thank you for okay. what you're doing. It's very yeah. noble. Oh, well, thank you guys absolutely. for having we'll us. We'll add and... that into the description of the podcast thank as you. well, so people can go out and find that and and make sure that they have links to everything that you guys are doing. I, I think that um, this will be the first of many podcasts because yeah. I'm so interested in in getting into learning more about what you're doing, getting involved with you guys, helping, and what you're doing. Um, Uh, We just shot a podcast with Dr. Zaid with Mm -hmm. the uh, Hyperbaric uh, Chamber. Um, and so that's something that we're learning quite a bit about now. I uh, make sure you're thinking about purchasing one myself and, mm-hmm. and starting the therapy because, um, that podcast was just super enlightening. In fact, there was so much information. I was just like, wow, I'm learning. I felt like I was at school, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and immersion therapy, like water tank therapy is stuff that I want to learn more about. So we, we need to be able to, to get you back and maybe, uh, maybe you can help me find my way to some of those resources. I definitely want to try the isolation yeah. tank. Yeah, uh, oh, I th- yeah. think that that's a completely different level of meditation that I've not experienced. oh it experienced.
3: is! A, it'll it'll fast track you there, and um, it's almost like a uh, it's different because uh, unlike uh, a lot of you know meditation practices where you're trying to block things out. I've got a sauna. We've got a sauna and Fred sauna at the house. That's where I do my meditations because you it's want to get into the cold water oh, cold twins. water immersion yeah, yeah
1: therapy.
0: look at that <laughs> uh... you No,
3: know, with the cold water that sounds terrible <laughs> um but uh I go in there and try to uh you know you focus on your breathing I can feel the heat, so it gives you something to to focus on right to to practice your meditation and um whereas when uh the isolation chamber, all those kind of things kind of start going away. It's, it becomes a little bit more difficult, but if you can hold it just a little bit longer, it, like, fast warp. It's almost, it's pretty wild. It's almost, you can almost, when you're in that deep meditation and in one of those, it's, it almost feels like you time travel.
0: Well, that's what I've been noticing here.
3: You
1: like, might go back into your journey. <laughs> that, that's okay. <laughs>
0: well, what I've realized is, in the trick to the journey is, and if I've, and I can't say the trick. That's a very, that's a very poor choice of words. But what I've realized with the meditation during the journey is when i'm meditating in the sauna, they do the same thing you do uh, in fact the wife and i will sauna and then we take that time to do an hour of meditation or whatever the ego death is the getting to the point where you lose all sense of connection to your body where you go deep enough inside that you were just in your own thought in your own thought space and you forget that you're still breathing you forget that you're still a physical being and you just allow yourself to go all the way in And that is such a challenge. But the Mm -hmm. isolation tank sounds like that would be a a way to be able to get super deep. Mm -hmm. And that's what the the plant medicine allowed me to do. It's like even with the hape ceremony, it was just like, you can meditate. Like when I'm in the sauna, I can get there for a few seconds, Mm -hmm. maybe a few moments, but it's 140 degrees and I'm hot and I'm sweating. And like, something always pushes me out of that. But when you when I went to the Hoppe for the first time, it was like, oh my goodness, that was the deepest meditation that I'd ever been in for the longest. And then ayahuasca is like that times whatever yeah. uh but that's like yeah. what the whole
1: like um like flying up into fight or flight like when you're in like a steam room and you're like okay this is getting hot and i'm sweating and now like i can't breathe as well and like your body cold water hits you yeah the or the cold water immersion. hits you in like cold water immersion like what you're like actually doing is working on your vagal break, your vagus nerve. And so that allows you to kind of push yourself into more difficult comfort zones, which is always what we say. That's where you grow. Um, yeah, but it that, you, uh, it, but yes, that when butterfly. you can tap into that just deep meditative state, like that ego is gone and you're like, I don't even feel the, the heat or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're able to maintain that presence.
0: See, I'm I'm actually glad you you mentioned that Because that's something I want to talk to you about We could talk about later on the podcast But I'm sure you'll be able to help me with I know that the Teams guys and a lot of these other guys Always think about that Like, you know, when they're on the beach And the water's freezing and cold And it's like when I was meditating the other day I had this realization that what they must be doing Is putting themselves into a meditative space To where they're disconnecting from their body They're allowing their body to experience Whatever they're doing But they're mentally not present with that Or they're finding some way to mitigate that am i am i on to something here oh uh, maybe i think maybe. Some of it might just be torture <laughs> some of it might be torture well, no, no. but they and have a high tolerance yeah, for do. torture they do. They because. well i'd be uh, interested in, in talking with you and in, in learning about different techniques and things like that because i would like to especially with cold water i hate fucking cold yeah like hate cold not i'm big the biggest cry baby in the world the second it gets like just a little bit cold complete bitch mode oh, yeah. complete I'm bitch mode. and yet you like pump and spice season <laughs> it, w- it doesn't matter whatever don't judge me i have flannels <laughs> my furry boots it's all good All right. oh yeah it's terrible i'll tell you about it later uh but uh it would be great to be able to learn how to like you know we we she talked my wife has talked about doing a ice bath at the house mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know getting a And yeah, we had one for a short period of time but i'll be honest with you my use of said ice bath was very forced <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh not something that i embrace so i'd be interested in learning more about that yeah. and i think that that would be a good skill to develop all the way around oh, yeah.
1: like rogan it, says it before he jumps in his he's like don't be a bitch today. <laughs> like just, I am just do it. One the hardest thing you're oh, gonna do today. It get it, it over early in really the morning. It, t- it takes yeah.
0: me longer to to like work myself up to get in than it probably does to do the session. Yeah. So it's like I have oh, to book yeah. Oh, yeah. double. It's like it takes 15 minutes of pre gaming yeah. <laughs>
3: just to get in for five just minutes. To get yeah. In. <laughs> oh, we had like one. It, uh, we had one at our command, and uh, it got down pretty, pretty, pretty low, and. uh, yeah, it was it was it was tough, but uh you know what's one of those things? I think it's once you do it a bunch of times, it gets easier on uh That's
0: what they yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, all right. Well, it looks like we are probably running up pretty close on time. We're gonna go ahead and wrap up today. Hey, thank you guys for joining us. Very I really appreciated having you on. Thanks. I learned a lot from you. Um I think that what you guys are doing is absolutely fantastic and uh your story is going to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people especially that have I, I think maybe one of the biggest takeaways for me is realizing that you just sometimes don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of people out there that are going to hear this story that are going to have to really challenge themselves and go oh shit, i'm probably guilty of that too i i wish that i would have addressed that sooner or maybe it'll have forced them to like take a look inside and and open themselves up to the idea that there are other therapies not just plant medicine but Mm -hmm. other types of therapies meditation yoga Mm -hmm. sauna that all achieve similar results or head you in that pathway of healing and and with different modalities and stuff and so um i think that you guys are absolutely fantastic now before we leave you are going to be one of the speakers at the uh missouri psychedelic conference on october 21st is that correct
1: yes i will um i think i'm heading up the veteran mental health panel
0: awesome yes. so the Snow Nates are going to be there we're going to come out oh, and support yay. you guys Good. yeah awesome. absolutely nice. yeah i already got my tickets awesome. so i got my tickets after even told me that he got some free ones yeah and i was like yeah there was terrible timing on your part yeah because i already bought them so <laughs>
1: well i appreciate you guys for supporting that and for having us on today and i hope people hear about us or for in, in some way our story was able to reach somebody and help them yeah
2: oh, i absolutely. want reached
0: to reach one hmm? i want to reach one yes yeah. yeah yeah that's the way we look at it any person that we help if it's just yeah. one yeah one's enough oh yeah you know or if it can change one life Then that's going to change more lives Because it's everybody connected to that person's life That's going to change too Yeah, mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you guys are listening out there And you are interested in learning more About plant medicine and psychedelic therapy uh, You should really look at going to The Missouri Psychedelic Conference Again, that's going to be on October 21st It's going to be held up in Brentwood, Missouri Right across from the Galleria It's going to be a great time Uh, I will make sure to post the link out there In the description so that you guys can get access access to that and uh, make sure that you go and check that out yes, you, i think
1: it's venue 17 is that correct
0: Yes, yeah. something like that i'll yeah. get the details okay. i'll get the details up there I, I have my tickets somewhere over there so But, uh, hey, if you're still out there listening, I want to thank you for joining us today. Make sure you go ahead and click subscribe and hit that notification bell so that you don't miss future episodes. We will drop all of our episodes. Our goal is by Fridays at 420. And then if we don't meet that goal because the captain is probably slacking, we will have them out by Saturday by midnight. Slacking having babies. Yeah, he's having, (laughs) he has a family or something that's bullshit. Anyway, we'll tell him to work harder. But let's take a moment and thank our sponsors. I want to give a big thank you to Malevolent Art Tattoo Studio over in Barnhart, Missouri. That is our man, Anthony Ferguson over there. Make sure that you guys go check him out. If you are looking for a tattoo and you want to get a quality tattoo, you want to have an artist that's going to work with you, that's going to be able to walk you through the process, explain the process to you, help you get a design that's going to not just look good, but it's going to wear well, it's going to tattoo well. Anthony is the person that you need to reach Out to Look in the description, you'll see a link to him If you reach out to him and mention the Stoned Apes You will get $50 off any booked appointment Go down there, check him, his team out He's got this beautiful, clean facility Uh, It's one of the nicest around He's out in Barnhart, Missouri Uh, He's got an excellent team of artists that work for him I think that you will be pleasantly surprised With the line work, the color saturation And everything that they do I have tattoos from Anthony Several people that I know have tattoos from Anthony Anthony. And no one has been disappointed yet because he is absolutely fantastic. So again, that is our primary sponsor. They are Malevolent Art Tattoo out in Barnhart, Missouri. They sponsor us. We would appreciate you if you support them because they are integral to what we do. And for this episode, the Stoned Apes are out.